Welcome to the Outpost Church Podcast. This is a message from our recent Sunday gathering, and we hope it builds you up in your faith and encourages you. Enjoy. Let me just pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my Lord, my Rock, my Redeemer. Pray, Father, you'll give us ears to hear and hearts to receive from you tonight. Father, that we will have openness to you, that we will be a blessing to you, and that your name will be honoured. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps as we don't have music tonight, which was a bit of a shock, I might not have said yes had I known that, (laughs) because I thought I can hide behind the music then while I prepare myself. What I'd like us to do is to stand up and say together Psalm 146. So it should be on the overhead. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the eternal God for as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God as long as I breath in my lungs and blood flows through my veins. Do not put your trust in the rulers of this world, kings and princes. Do not expect any rescue from mortals. As soon as their breath leaves them, they return to the earth. On that day, all of them perish, their dreams, their plans, and their memories. Blessed are those whose help comes from the God of Jacob, whose hope is centered in the Lord their God who created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that is within them, who stays true and remains faithful forever, who works justice for those who are pressed down by the world, providing food for those who are hungry. The Lord frees those who are imprisoned. He makes the blind see. He lifts up those whose backs are bent in labor. He cherishes those who do what is right. The Lord looks after those who journey in a land not their own. He takes care of the orphan and the widow, but he frustrates the wicked along their way. The Lord will reign today, tomorrow, and forever. People of Zion, your God will rule forever over all generations. Praise the Lord. Sit down. Thank you. Before I actually start to talk about lament, I thought it would be a good idea to give you a little bit of background information because I've had a long journey with it. I've had a journey of some 30 plus years with lament. In fact, probably a long time even before that, but I'm going to focus on what has really provoked my interest in doing a PhD focusing on, specifically, lament. Without the background, what I've got to say tonight is just an academic exercise, and what I really want it to be is something that comes from our hearts. In 1989, I was in my mid-30s. For those of you who want to do some maths, you can work out how old I am. I had a young family aged between 4 and 13, I was super active, I taught aerobics, I taught dance, I was a youth leader, I led a creative youth group who did all kinds of bizarre things like street theatre and clowning. I was part of a prayer ministry team, we led a, James and I led a house church, we led the youth group, I was basically superwoman, so I thought. James had just, my husband James, for those who don't know him, at the back there, Happy anniversary, Dallas. Get less for murder, they tell me. We've been together for 47 years, so I'm allowed to say that. James had just sensed a call to train for pastoral ministry in the Baptist Church. And once he started college the following year, my plan was I was going to go back to work full-time to support us because there was no or study and no fee help in those days, not for people training for ministry anyway. 
I'd been working part-time around kindy hours for just over a year. And during a normal shift, myself and another woman picked up a rubbish bin and one of the discs in my lumbar spine exploded. Big hole. I had lots of prayer. I was part of a church that believed in, in healing. I didn't heal. I did all the right things. I did rest. I did physio three times a week. I put on lots of weight because the physiotherapist was just opposite the bakery and they did great pies and pasties. <laughs> so I gained quite a bit of it. That wasn't so good. But it became a point where there was a danger that because the, the disc split from the inside, not the back of my spine, it actually came from the inside. And there was some danger it might impinge upon my spinal cord, which could have been a little bit problematic. So over the following three years, I had three unsuccessful operations and a fourth in which six screws that they used to put, um, I won't explain it, it's a bit weird, one of the screws, big six screws like that, one of them pinched on my, one of my nerves in my back and it resulted in nerve pain in additional to the spinal instability. I did a couple of other things as well, which I won't bore you with. And then I had a fifth operation to rectify this, to rectify the fourth, and then a sixth where they took all of the screws out thinking that might fix the problem, well, it didn't. Often during that time, I wasn't able to shower unaided. I couldn't dress myself. Socks were particularly difficult, and my four-year-old used to help me put on my socks, and that used to break my heart, as you can imagine. I couldn't do things with my family, and often I needed help to do some very basic things of life. Um, eventually, the doctors told me that I'd never work again, I, wouldn't, I would be basically on morphine or something similar for the rest of my life and I wouldn't be able to blah, 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 whatever you want to put in that space. So I was on the scrap heap before my 40th birthday, basically, according to the doctors. So going back a bit to the in and out of hospital, which was over a period of, what, three or four years, James, something like that, uh, following the second surgery, which was about 18 months into this, this journey, I spiralled into a time of deep depression. Part of it was just circumstances and part of it was the drugs that they gave me. There was one particular one called Rivitrol, which was a nightmare. Basically, I wanted to die. I had a drawer full of pills and I could easily have taken them, very easily have taken them. The only thing that stopped me was my youngest, my little baby girl. She would have been about six at the time, and she was always first home from school. And she would have been the one to have found me. And I couldn't do that. And I couldn't do that to her. And that's uh, been a source of much thankfulness over the years. I think it lasted about 18 months. James thinks probably closer to, to what, three years. But for me, it was 18 months of, of deep blackness. And I cried out. There's a couple more PowerPoints through a couple more slides as a psalm. Yep, the next one. Thank you. I cried out, I'm hurting, Lord. Will you forget me forever? How much longer? Will you look the other way when I'm in need? How much longer must I cling to this constant grief? I've endured this shaking of my soul. So how much longer will my enemy have the upper hand, the enemy being my back, pain and the depression and all the things that went with that? Take a good look at me, Yahweh, my God. Answer me. Breathe your life into my spirit. Bring light to my eyes in this pitch black darkness, or I will sleep the sleep of death. I was basically walking through the valley of weeping that... Um, David talks about in Psalm 23, when I walk through the valley of Bacchah, the valley of weeping, the dark valley. I do remember a turning point. That's a miserable bit. 
I do remember a turning point, though. I was in church, and yet another person had come up to me and said, God wants to heal you. Here we go again, I thought. And I can remember very clearly, literally lying face down on the floor, which was quite an effort when you have a bad back. And I said, stop! No more. I've had it. I can remember what I prayed. And this was, I said to God, stop, not to people around me. This was a God, this was a God thing. Stop, I've had enough. Let's get serious here. If you're going to heal me, heal me. Just do it. Stop messing about. I didn't feel any lightning bolts come and zap me for being so rude to God, but that's, that was probably a good thing at the time. But I can remember praying, if I'm more useful to you healed, Lord, heal me. But if I'm more useful to you the way I am, then leave me the way I am. Whatever. I just ask one thing. No more drugs. I want to live drug-free because I mess with your head. Well, at least I messed with, my, messed with mine. I literally surrendered the whole thing to God. I said, here it is. That's another sermon on surrender. Basically, I let God take, take charge. I said, no more doctors, no more surgery, no more hospital, and no more drugs. Stop. I decided to fight back and not let the issue define me. Define me. What had happened is basically I'd become a bad back. People wanted, to, wanted me to be healed. They didn't think about what was going on inside of me. What I was was a problem to be solved, and the problem was my back. It wasn't anything else that God may have been doing at the time. You know, if I went forward for prayer, we had a, um, a church that people would go forward for prayer at the end of, end of the service. And if I went forward for prayer, no matter what it was I wanted prayer for, people would pray for my bad back. And I think, well, I'm more than a back, I'm a front as well. You know, and I've got a head, and I've got all kinds of other things. The back is not the issue. The back is all the other stuff that's going on. The, 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 the issue is everything else that's going on in my life. So, basically, we got on with life. We spent five years in Tassie. We church planted before we went to Tassie. If you want to know about church planting, what not to do, you can come and have a chat to James and I. I'm sure we've got some really good ideas about what not to do. Great that this church doesn't do things that we did because we made some boo boos a big time. Uh, we got on with, anyway, we got on with life. We got on with church planting, with preaching, serving, just doing stuff like you do. Went to Tassie for five years. And there were good days and there were bad days, but we got on with life. I managed, in other words. And then we heard God's call to Thailand, which, again, is another issue that we won't talk about today. But in Thailand, we didn't have some sufficient money to stay beyond a year. So it was a bit of a, bit of a problem, because we needed to eat, amongst other things. Um, and I was offered a position at, at an English language, uh, as an English language teacher at the local university, which was an English medium, which meant everything was taught in English, at least in theory. And uh, I went. The lady who was on the scrap heap was offered a job. I took it and got enabled. I worked full-time, full-on full-time, sometimes 50, 60 hours a week, got enabled. After five years, we needed to return to Australia to support James's mum, who'd just been diagnosed with uh, progressive Alzheimer's. I was offered a position at Tabor College, literally created for me, and I continued to work full-time. However, I was rarely pain-free. Life revolved around work, collapsing when I got home, and recovery over the weekend so I could rinse and repeat the next week. And it got to a point I could hardly get out of the car. I can remember sitting in the car a couple of times at home under the carport, beeping. James would have to come out and help me out of the seat. And I'd be in tears because I was in so much pain. I thought, I don't want to go back on drugs. Cut a long story short, I now have two amazing implants in my body, which 
help me deal with the pain. I'm not pain-free, but boy, has it made a difference. It is a miracle. It may be a medical miracle, but it's still a miracle, and it came from the heart of God, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, there are still some relatively minor ongoing restrictions. I can't sit for more than 20 or 30 minutes without wriggling, so if you see me wriggling, that's why. Standing in one spot, you'll notice I very rarely stand still. I have to move because standing dead still, my pain will spike. I can't vacuum or wash floors. Oh, the tragedy. <laughs> I can't get things out of bottom cupboards. That's why I have a husband who's, if something drops on the floor, I can pick it up that way. If it's heavy, it stays on the floor till somebody comes and does it for me. So there's still some restrictions, but hey, you know, you live with that. So, next, next slide. Next one on. Yeah, just leave it there for a minute. Later down the track, I asked God... Where were you in all of this, God? And his answer was, and this is vir virtually a quote, I was lying behind you. I interfaced, and that's the word. If anyone does sewing here, ladies, you know what interfacing is? It's a stiffening material that you iron on to another fabric to make it strong. This is why interface was important. So I was interfaced with your spine, carrying the pain with you. I learnt during this time that God's grace is sufficient. God's power is perfected in my weakness. When I'm weak, God is strong, whether I know it or not. And one of my favorite verses is from 2 Corinthians. I begged the Lord three times to liberate me from this anguish. Mine was probably 3,333 times. And finally God said to me, my grace is enough to cover and sustain you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So ask me about my thorn. Inquire about my weakness. And I would gladly go on and on and on and on, and I do, frequently. I would rather stake my claim in these and have the power of the anointed one at home within me. I'm at peace, and I even take pleasure in any weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and afflictions for the sake of the anointed. Because when I'm at my weakest, he makes me strong. Whether I know it or not, I learned I can be content in all situations through Christ, who is my power and my strength, whether I know it or not. I learned that in everything, that's not in some things, it's in everything, every single thing, God works together for good, for those who love God and are called according to God's purpose whether we know it or not. And the good that God plans for us is to make us more like Christ. We often take that, that, that uh, text, and the good is he's going to turn into something amazing, like you know, a new car or something like that. No, it's to make us more Christ-like, to make us more like Jesus. That's the good that Paul is talking about. Most of all, this is the next one, I learnt it's okay to not be okay. I don't have to be superwoman. I don't have to be super Christian. I can't save the world, it's already been done. I learned it's okay to question God. And I did, I really did. I can remember lying on the bed, having a temper tantrum and you know how little three-year-olds do that? And God just patted me on the head. Are we over it yet? No, 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 no. Are we over it yet? No. Yeah. Are we finished? I'm so tired, God. Now we can talk. I learned it's okay to question God. I learned 
It's even okay to shake my fist and swear at God. And I have done that too. I can remember telling God to off. Sorry if that offends anyone. Stand in the corner. Don't talk to me. I won't talk to you. We'll both be fine. I can remember telling God, if you exist at all, you're a fraud. Imagine having a conversation with someone you don't think exists. I mean, that in itself is just plain stupid. But that's sometimes what happens when you get to those points of despair. I learnt, even when I shake my fist at God and swear at God, he is faithful even when I'm not. And whether I know it or not, he is faithful. I learnt it's okay to fall apart, it's okay to grieve, it's okay to wail, and it's okay to lament. So, that's some of the little bits. One thing I've learned since beginning my studies on lament is that I haven't understood it at all. I've done it, but not well. I haven't done it intentionally. It's just happened. I've yelled, I've screamed, I've carried on, but it hasn't been a godly lament. It's just been a whinge fest, if you like. It's caused me also to reflect on why we don't make a space in our churches for lament. Because people hurt all the time. Maybe not the dramatic picture that I've painted here, but everyone's pain hurts. The person who's feeling it at the time. It may be the death of a dog. I can remember when, when we had um, our last dog put down, I bawled for two hours. I was just about hysterical. James almost had to smack me around the face and say, calm down, woman. <gasps> it was just a dog, an old dog. But it hurt. It might be a lost dream. It might be a broken relationship. It might be the job you didn't get. It might be... But it still hurts. Why don't we make space for lament in our churches? As I've looked back, I wasn't encouraged to grieve the losses following my back injury. The loss of independence, the loss of functionality, the loss of identity, the loss of being superwoman. Sometimes I was even rebuked for my lack of faith because I wasn't healed and because I struggled. I was told, read your Bible more. Pray more. In effect, ignore the pain. Ignore the physical pain, ignore the emotional pain. I wasn't given space, and this is not a criticism of the church. I think it just is. It's just the way we are. I think we're afraid. We're afraid of our own pain, and we're afraid of other people's pain, and we don't know how to walk with them through that pain. My sisters and my brothers in the community of faith they were incredibly supportive, and they were. They were amazing. But they didn't know how to walk with me through the pain, through that valley of weeping. I wrote a lot of poetry, some of it, all of it very dark, some of it pretty woeful. Usually at 4 a.m., that was my darkest hour. Looking back, those poems were laments. They were my way of trying to get this, this stuff inside of me out of me. Even before I knew what lament was, and before I discovered the Bible is full of laments, I began to lament. I believe with all my heart that we, as God's people, God's representatives on earth, we need to rediscover and engage with lament in and for this broken world and for its broken people whether it's a personal lament, whether it's a personal pain, whether it's for things lost, 
whether it's for things broken in our own life or whether it's a communal lament, something we do as a church, as God's people gathering together, or whether we simply walk through someone else, with someone else through their darkness and help hold them up. There's a negative whinge-fest way that leads to more darkness and despair when all we do is complain. And there's a godly, righteous way that leads us straight into the arms of Jesus. It leads us to a place of surrender. It leads us to a place of trust. It leads us to a place of praise that isn't dependent on our circumstances. How often do we praise God because we feel good? Can we really praise God when, we, when everything around us is I almost said a bad word. Everything around us is pretty awful. Can we genuinely praise God for his faithfulness and who he is, even in, this, in that space? Can we go to that place of surrender, trust and praise that isn't dependent on our circumstances or our mood at the time? So this is an open question. It's not a, not a rhetorical question that requires no answer. What do you think lament is? What do you understand about lament? No right and wrong answer? It's whinging. Whinging. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it can be a prayer. It can be, it can be a whinge, absolutely it can. You're right. Quite often our, our laments turn into whinges and we revisit again and again and again and again and again like a broken record. But there's a godly way to lament too. How do you think people today might lament? Incidentally, it's mainly us in the West that don't do it well. If you go into some... Um, for example, I went to a, an, I, think it's, I think they're Nigerian, in the city, closer to the city, a church there, and the, their songs were laments. You could hear that, that cry out to God that was a lament for things lost, for the sickness and the sadness in the world, yet it was a, a congregation full of joy. It was quite amazing. Yeah, black armbands, that's the one way of doing it. Something to think about. So in what ways should Christians lament and to or with whom? Another thing to think about because we're going to do something with this a bit later on. So, there's some paper and pens at the end of the, the thingies here. I want you to reflect on a time when you were sorrowful. If it's helpful, write it down. You don't have to, and I'm not going to ask you to hand in your homework. For those who don't know, I was a lecturer at table for 15 years, and homework was, you know, assignments and things. I won't look at any of these. But if it's helpful to, like, to write stuff down, write it down. Reflect on a time when, when you were sorrowful. Why were you sorrowful? Be specific. What did you do at the time to process it? And where was God in the sorrow? If you're not sure, ask him. Say, where were you, God? That's what I did. Where were you, God? And he showed me. I'll just give you a couple of minutes and then we'll it may have been something very small like you only got a, a B for an assignment and not the A you were expecting it's just something to help you Focus your thinking. 
all relative, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe the car, right? the cars, you wanted to buy a new car and they only had black ones, it didn't have the red one you wanted. Or you had to buy Reeboks instead of the Nikes. I'm being a bit facetious, but it doesn't have to be a big thing. I mean, my sorrow was a big sorrow, but there's also been lots that have caused me more pain than, than um, as much pain in different ways. Okay, I want to push on because I'd like us to do a, an exercise at the end that will you can go back and revisit this. So, what is lament? Well, the dictionary meaning, and this is straight from the dictionary, is to express, express profound sorrow for or concerning something. Also, in modern use, to feel sorrow, to mourn for the loss of a person, to bewail something that's happened, to express profound grief, to mourn passionately. Or the act of lamenting is a passionate or demonstrative expression of grief. Now, I'm very demonstrative. You can ask anybody in my family, anyone who knows me, I am a drama queen. I used to, I went to a theatre school in the UK, so I was trained to actually be a professional actress. So, I am a drama queen, I freely confess that. It's good, because I can express quite freely. Some people are less emotional, and that's okay too. So your demonstrative act of grief may be quite, quite um, subdued. My husband is one of the most easygoing, calm, he has to be to live with me, per people that I know. He doesn't have the emotional highs and lows that I have, but I know that he does, have, he does express grief just does it differently for me, which is probably a really good thing. Laments in the Bible. I think this is the next one. Um, yeah. In the Bible, there are numerous texts of lament, particularly in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, most notably the Book of Lamentations, or Lamingtons, as my kids used to like to call it, which is the lament of the community of Israel on the destruction of Jerusalem. So that was a community, a community lamenting um, written by Jeremiah, we think. Job had quite a bit to say to his friends and to God about what was happening to him. He really wasn't a happy camper. He did a lot of lamenting, a lot of anger at God. When I was going through a lot of my um, in and out of hospital, I was actually studying um, my first degree in uh, Bachelor of Theology. I was actually studying the book of Job. I found it amazing just how Job was walking through exactly what I was walking through. The anger, the anger at God, you're a fraud, you're this, you're that, the friends not being helpful, all those sorts of things. To the point I actually wrote an essay that I figured that Job was someone who had a bad had a really bad back injury, and this was his way of, way of dealing with it. I think my, um, my uh, lecturer found that quite amusing. We understand also that the Bible is God's word to us, and it's right to read it as God word, God's word to us. But in the Psalms, we see dialogues. This is, this is my teacher hat on now. We see a two-way communication where humanity's voice is heard, and God responds. We see this particularly in the Psalms of Lament. And did you know that over two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament? We only see the praise Psalms, but over two-thirds of them are Psalms of Lament. That should say something to us if we're talking about dialogue. In the Hebrew Bible, Lament typically includes an address to God, a complaint, requests, often that God will do, uh, often that uh, is a request for justice against an enemy. Strike them down, God! We can do that too. God, do this! God, yeah, whatever. But it's in the Bible and it's human beings, often David or sons of Korah or whomever, asking God to do something specific. 
against the enemy. Now, for me, when I was going through Psalms and thinking about my back injury, the enemy was the pain in my back. Occasionally, the people would just say, God's going to heal you if you repent or whatever it was that they thought I needed to do. It's also a statement of faith, if you read it. It's remembering God's action in the past or God's promises. When you start to read the Psalms of Lament with that in mind, you can actually see the narratives that the psalmist is talking about, you know, going through the water, talking about the Red Sea and the Egyptians and all those sorts of things. Lament continues into the Christian scriptures, but in a more muted form. Like the Old Testament prayers, the lament in the New Testament are full of passion. For example, the Lord's Prayer. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to say that just as a... As a there should be a passion in there. There should be a feeling in there. Lament prayers can be centered in life events and can involve deep personal struggles. For example, the prayer of Jesus and Gethsemane. Cries of lament can be protest. For example, Jesus weeping for Jerusalem and for Lazarus. And the most poignant cry of desolation on the cross my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Psalm 22. Lament is everywhere in the Bible if you look for it, and yet lamenting is rarely practiced by most Aussie Christians. This suggests it's a culture of cultural conditioning of positivity where faith is equated with being positive, joyful, and strong. But this is far from the truth, and there is, the result is a malnourished theology of suffering, as someone put it, and a fragile faith. And that fragile faith has little capacity to deal with hardship when it comes. Lamenting is often discouraged today, especially for Christians in Western cultures. We're urged to forgive when we've been wronged, when we'd much rather God struck down the person who's upset us with a thunderbolt? Or am I the only person who feels like that? Because there are times when I would say, God, just get them! He doesn't, which is probably good. <laughs> but, you know, we're urged towards forgiveness, but we don't necessarily work through the reason for the need for forgiveness. We're told that they're in a better place when we're grieving the death of a loved one. Yes, they are, but that doesn't make it any less painful. It doesn't make it any less painful. We're told, God is in control, you'll be fine. Yeah, but right now I don't feel like that. I'll pray for you. That's got to be the worst one. Yes, it is good for people to pray for you. It's good to ask for prayer and it's good that people say they'll pray for you. But we also need to, we also need to let the pain be worked through. We can't just say, I'll pray for you and run away. I can remember James coming home one day saying, if one more person asks me how you are, I'm going to smack them. Now, this is, this is my husband who is, seriously, anyone knows, is so easygoing. But there needs to be more, I'm going to pray for you. There needs to be a demonstration of a willingness to help carry someone, to walk with them through the pain. If you, are, if you don't let someone express their pain, then you're denying it. You're saying your pain isn't validated. And it's not always the pain that's visible. People knew I had, a heart, I had a bad back. My back hurt. Yeah. That's minor. The loss of identity and the loss of, of, of functionality, the loss of independence was far more painful to me than the physical pain in my back. And a superwoman had to die. And I had to be allowed to grieve the fact that superwoman was no more and to let the new Leslie Mark three or four arise in her place, which is probably much scarier than Superwoman. 
Because she's a definite different creature. Contrary to this discouragement for lament, the biblical tradition of lament allows for expressions of grief. It allows for expressions of suffering. It allows for complaint towards God. And it even allows for rage. You don't stay in it. You know, Job sat in the puddle for seven days, but he didn't stay there. You know, there's nothing wrong with being in the puddle. Staying there is, is a bit more problematic. Lament can be more than a complaint or a cry for help or a protest. It can also be an anguished cry that voices betrayal, abandonment, and disappointment in the God we feel has left us. Because I certainly feel that often. Where are you, God? Intellectually, I knew God was still with me. But I sure as heck did not feel that. Lament demands God does something. Many sections of the Western church have a focus on the culture of success that offers praise for our accomplishment, but denies or downplays our failures. Lament can be over a failure. It can be over a broken dream, an unkept promise, a vision that hasn't happened, something you've wanted desperately, something you've prayed for, earnestly you've fasted for and it hasn't happened. Lament demands that God does something. Not lamenting can mean we neglect truly facing our fears, our doubts, our pains, our struggles and our weaknesses. Perhaps we even believe that, that these sorts of things are a sign of weak faith. Why are we uncomfortable when people express deep grief? Are we afraid to lament? Or maybe we just don't know how to. Okay. With the person next to you, if you're comfortable, or on your own, if you prefer, does a focus on positivity result in a malnourished theology of suffering and a fragile faith? Do you agree with that statement? Just a couple of seconds on this, and then we'll go... Th you okay. Actually, what I'll do is, that because we don't have a lot of time, I will skip this, and I'm going to go straight into a process for lamenting, which I think is slide number... 14 or 15 components of lament. Yep, this next one. Right. This is, a bit, this is the biblical process for lament. These are the components. They're not necessarily in this order. So it's not a sort of you, you go from, you know, like putting a flat pack together and you, you do point A, point B, point point C, point D, and if you miss any of them, you find you've got a screw left at the end and everything falls apart. Anyone who's been to Ikea probably knows that one. The components of lament, you address God directly. You speak to God like you would speak to a friend, somebody you know well. It's, not, it's something that is an intimate process. You voice your complaint your expression of grief, your sorrow, pain, anger, despair, and you protest to God your deepest feelings. You need to be honest. We need to be honest before God. If you feel like beep, then tell God. He knows your heart. Uh, Nick was just saying he's been reading Psalm 139. God knows who we are. He knows our thought before we even think it ourselves. He knows everything about us. There's not a thing that we have thought he hasn't already known about. When I shook my fist to God, he knew I was pretty aggro. It did not come as a surprise to God that I was having a temper tantrum because he knew I was hurting. It did not come... God is never disillusioned 
with us because he doesn't have any illusions to start with. He knows who we are. He knows the depth of our capacity to sin or whatever. So voice your complaint. Be specific. Confess your sin. If there's something, if there's a wrongdoing in there, if you've been disobedient, because I know sometimes when I've lamented, there's something I need to confess before God where I haven't done something I should have done, and what's happening to me at the moment is a consequence of my, of my failure, of my, of my sin. Or if it's something that in which you're innocent, then say that, God, I've done nothing, and listen. Listen, listen. First listen to what God is saying to you. If there's a wrongdoing on your part, confess it, because you may not have seen it. Just say, hey, God, I stuffed up. And I do that quite often. If it's without cause or you're not at fault, say that and listen again. The fourth component of lament is a remembrance of God's faithfulness and or greatness. It is a statement of faith. It might be from Scripture. I mean, I spend a lot of time in Scripture. Not so much maybe these days, because I'm actually writing about the Bible rather than reading it. But when I used to read the Bible, I would spend a lot of time speaking God's Word back to Him. In your Word, you say this, God. And I'd point out a Scripture that, this is your Word, God. This is, this is who you are. This is what you've done. You can quote it or paraphrase it. I personally find it helpful to read it aloud as a declaration. And that, incidentally, is also really useful for warfare praying if you're inclined to you know, bang your battle drum a bit, and intercession, if, if those are the things that are part of what you do. You can, it, it can be a remembrance of God's faithful to, <laughs> faithfulness to you in the past, something he's done for you in the past. Be specific. It can be words from a song about God's attributes. Those of you who are worship, worshippers, who are lead, who are song leaders, who are musicians, you can you can you can declare that way. You can go around the house and sing at the top of your voice, which is something I do when nobody's listening. There are no restrictions. They're just statements about God's character, who God is, because. The whole process of lament, the important thing is God is faithful and he loves you. The fifth element is to ask for justice if you're wronged. Ask for God's help or whatever is appropriate. Ask. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit might be saying to you, wait, rest, trust. Surrender, that's a tough one. Confess or something specific. And then respond, be open, be honest. If you're fearful, say so. If you're struggling, say so. Listen for God's response. And then the most important thing to get out of that puddle is you make a statement of trust, a vow of praise from your heart or from scripture. Okay, your pieces of paper. I'm gonna give you about five, 10 minutes to do this. Identify a sorrow, it might be the one you thought about before. Seek God before you do this exercise. Ask God, it may not be, it may not be what immediately comes to mind. Because this was the thing, when I went forward for prayer, people automatically assumed it was for my, my back. It could have been something completely different. Ask God, what do you want me to do this with? It might surprise you. Ask him to guide you to an issue with which to engage. Be specific. It might be something specific. It might be a current issue. It might be something very general, a sense of distress that doesn't have an identifiable cause. You just feel like, boop, at the moment. It might be the dark night of the soul. 
you might need to revisit or engage with a past experience in order to understand it or make sense of it or make meaning from it and to grow through it, to understand and heal a still open wound. So do business with God, either verbally, in prayer, just quietly, find a corner somewhere, or write your own psalm. Just follow the, um, if, if you can go back, I think, um, to the, yep, those ones. Off you go. And in about five minutes, I'll stop. You can keep doing this at home, and then we'll stand together, and we're going to declare Psalm 146 in a slightly different way. So I'll just give you five minutes, and then we'll finish off. Just before we uh, get up and say this, this uh, last bit of the psalm together, whatever your burden is, lay it before the Lord as your final, final act of 2023. There's a few hours to go yet. But lay that burden before God and let him pick it up and either dispose of it or carry it with you. Don't take it into 2024. Lay it down. After we've said this uh, psalm together, there'll be opportunity to ask someone to pray for you. Uh, James and I are happy to pray with you. I'm sure that Shane and Christy are happy to pray or someone else that you feel safe and comfortable with. But um, I'll hang around here, James and I will hang around here for a little while. If there's something very specific you want prayer for, don't go with a burden in your soul. So if we could just stand together and we'll say this. I've taken this uh, psalm again. It does start with, oh, praise the Lord, obviously my... Um, my PowerPointing skills were a little lacking in this one. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Let's say together, praise the Lord, O my soul. We will praise the eternal God for as long as we live. We will sing praises to our God as long as breath fills our lungs and blood flows through our veins. We will not put our trust in the rulers of this world kings and princes. We will not expect any rescue from mortals. Our help comes from the God of Jacob. Our hope is centered in the Lord our God, who created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that lives within them, who stays true and remains faithful forever, who will work justice for those who are pressed down. The Lord will free people from prisons. He will frustrate those who persecute us without cause. He will lift me up when my back is bent. He will cherish and care for me. The Lord will look after me when I journey in a land not my own. He will comfort me when I am lonely. The Lord will reign today, tomorrow, and forever. Praise the Lord. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. See you next year.